1: Welcome to the hockey cast. My name is Dmitri Filipovich, and joining me is uh, my good buddy Uncle Jeff Merrick. Jeff, what's going the, on?
0: Where did the uncle part come from? Because uh, when I used to host Leafs Lunch on EM six forty in another lifetime, we, uh, my co-host was Bill Waters, and at the end of the show, we'd always throw Bill out a random hockey player, and then we played this like oldie style uh, music. We call it story time with Uncle Willie. How did Uncle Jeffy come about, or Uncle Jeff come about?
1: Is that just because I'm old now? No, it's not. That, it's not an age thing oh. at all. I think. I think it, it just. I think you were on the show once, and I'm not sure if it was my producer, or if it was a listener, but someone was just like, "Yeah, it's just." You know, it was just story time with 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 cool story Uncle time. Jeff Merrick. He just kind of took took you under his wing and started uh, dropping <laughs> knowledge and, and cool anecdotes and stories. So I think that's the origin of it.
0: Ah, okay. Well, I, I, I can live with that as long as it's not an age thing because I'm at, I'm at the age now where I'm supposed to start to get sensitive about my age. These things happen when you're in your 40s, Dimitri. You'll, yeah. get, there one, you'll get there one day.
1: One day. Um, you know what? People have, been, people have been clamoring to get you back on the shore, or I guess I should say uh, for you to have me on the PDO cast.
0: <laughs> no, I told you, I, I, I swore off hosting. Uh, I did it the first couple of times. It's just a, a sort of like, I think it's just a default mechanism in me. And I find myself, because I'm always like asking questions about everything, because really when it comes down to it, I don't know shit, Dimitri. um, I think that when I start to answer questions in my own mind, I start to ask myself questions as the answer is going on. And so I say to myself, well, I can either be that guy that pretends he's on a podcast by himself and asks himself questions, or I can just say, hey, Dimitri, what do you think about that? And I kind of choose to go that route.
1: Well, I imagine it's also i mean you're hosting like a million different shows it's it's kind of it's in your it's in your blood it's in your DNA at this point
0: it is although you know what you know what's a lot of fun is doing um I do Fridays on Hockey Central with uh, Darren Millard and Gordon Stalick. now those mm. are three hosts yeah um and so it's a very i believe the Nerdist podcast would refer to it as a hostful show <laughs> and that's some of the most fun and we never book guests, and it's just three guys and it's round table and it's just riff 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 it's it's the closest thing I think that that show does to what i think a podcast is supposed to do just free exchange of ideas back and forth not a real structure to it other than you know we have to be out at the bottom of the hour for a stop set but other than that it's the sort of closest thing i think um that that program does to a podcast and that's some of the most fun that i have that's just three hosts firing it around
1: that's that's why exactly why i have the most fun with with you on the show as well because you know with, with both guests you have to like have at least some sort of a preparation in place or like notes just in case the conversation lags a little bit so that as a host i can pick it back up and keep it keep it moving slow smoothly whereas with you yeah. i know that we're definitely not going to run short on topics or we're not going to be like at the 35 minute mark being like uh what should we be talking about now like yeah. it's, if anything we need more time so it's uh it's always fun when you're on
0: I'm not going to ask you to name any names, that would be unprofessional of me, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had those experiences where you know, you're know uh, you a quarter way through your program and you start to look at your watch and you say to yourself, well, I'm just about out of ideas here, I'm just about out of, because there's not a real conversation happening, it's just sort of you're asking a question or trying to get a conversation started and someone says an unqualified declarative statement and then that'll just end the conversation. Yeah you've had those before yeah. right well
1: the, the problem is especially if you don't have uh, like a working relationship with someone and then you get them on skype or on the phone and you can't like it's much easier if i'm sitting across from from you and and i can sort of uh pick up off your body language and your vibe and i can tell when you're about to stop talking so i can jump back in or i can tell that you know if you're intrigued by a certain topic i can keep pressing and, and pushing at it and trying to dig up more good information whereas sometimes you can kind of tell that you know a, a guest might be getting irritated yeah. with it. A certain uh, direction you're taking the conversation in, so you could want to try and steer away from it. It's just kind of tough to get a vibe from, from doing it like kind of on the phone like this. So, but obviously with with you and I, like we've done this so many times already that we can just talk freely on the phone as if we're sitting across from each other in the same living room.
0: It's weird, eh? The way that uh, your neighbor is so many, you know, hundreds/slash thousands of miles away at times. I mean, I've done the podcast with Greg now for ah, six years, I think it is six years, going on seven, I think. And I think we've been in the same room maybe a handful of times, like maybe five or six times that we've been in the exact same room. Um, I, I, I don't. It's not preferable. I mean, I'm like you. I'd rather be seeing across from the person. I'd rather be able to see them and pick up on on visual cues more than anything else. Or, you know, when they give you the, the wide eyeballs, like, get off <laughs> this topic now, I'm about to step in something, yep. uh, and you keep on pressing. But it's the reality of media, like, like right now, and like, how else would, I mean, right now you're in New York, but mainly you're in Vancouver. Yep. When else would, I mean, just think back, like, 15 years ago, would you and I have ever been able to do a program together? Not a chance. Now we don't even, now we don't even take a, uh, think about it for a second. Like Geography just doesn't matter at all when it comes to broadcasting anymore. Yeah. I mean, it, it never really did in, t- in TV. It's one of the things that I always loved about Satellite Hot Stove on Hockey Night was, you know, oh, wow, look, John Davidson's just popped up in the corner. <laughs> you know, like it, it added that sort of cool element. Um But as far as podcasts go and even, you know, radio shows, I guess Bob McCowan used to do his his radio show on the fans so many years ago from Las Vegas. You just don't need to be, you know, geographically in the same spot, although. I still do think that it makes for the best shows.
1: Yes, no, absolutely. Um, the, you mentioned that I'm in New York. I did want to give a quick heads up to the listeners uh, in case there are you know sirens or uh, weird inexplicable noises in the background. It's uh, I'm recording in New York City, so it's uh, it's pretty noisy out here. And I think that you know we've got certain listeners that have been following the show since the very early days, back when there used to be sirens in the background at all times. And uh, maybe it'll make them, <laughs> make them feel a little nostalgic. So I'm sure for those okay. guys, they won't complain. But uh, for the others, we'll get back to the regularly scheduled programming with minimal background noise soon enough. But for this occasion, uh, apologies if it's uh, if it's if the audio quality isn't isn't up to snuff.
0: Okay, if I have my if I may have one digression, uh, let me host for one second. Then, mm. so Dimitri, what are you doing in New York City, and when is the announcement about you joining the Rangers coming up? <laughs> <laughs> well, who's, well,
1: you know, it, it could also be the Islanders or the New Jersey Devils. There's ah, yes. enough teams around here where the mystery remains uh, intact. Remains no,
0: that's, that's very good. And a lot of teams will do all of their interviews off-site anyway. I of mean, course. if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, why would you want to do it in Philadelphia? If you're the Montreal Canadiens, why would you do it in Montreal? If you be the Dallas Stars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Again, geography is, to the previous point, meaningless in these conversations.
1: Don't worry. The podcast, the PDO cast isn't going anywhere. Uh, I mean, right. we, have, we have too much fun doing this thing for it to uh, go by the wayside. Um, so I imagine this is probably your favorite time of the year. I mean, it, it feels like it's the sweet spot where all of, all of your hockey interests are coming together because obviously we've got the NHL playoffs in full effect. Uh, we've got the draft order determined now. and. We've got the participants of this year's Memorial Cup all sorted out after the uh, individual playoffs just concluded. And I guess that's a good segue for us to get into some uh, Memorial Cup discussion here because that feels like that's like right up your alley.
0: It's a lot of fun. If it weren't already co-opted by the Disney Corporation, I'd say it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, that's always a lot of fun, uh, as always. But... You know, since I, I started at Sportsnet, and to be honest with you, one of the reasons I came over when I left CBC, um, for, uh, for Sportsnet was, you know, the chance to do junior hockey. As much as, you know, the NHL is the big time and the NHL pays everybody's bills and I, I get all that. My first love is still junior hockey. I um, can still remember vividly going to Toronto Marlboros games as a kid. Uh, you you know, you can get uh, two-for-one deals. You go see the Marlboros at the Maple Leaf Gardens in the afternoon then stick around and watch the Maple Leafs at night. Uh, they used to offer those packages. So I sort of grew up with, you know, seeing junior hockey uh, on par with the NHL, also the WHA on par with the NHL, watching the Toronto Toros. Um, but always in the back of my mind, I always said to myself, if I ever get a chance to do anything with junior hockey, I- I'm going to jump at it. I know the huge eyeballs aren't there. It isn't perhaps to some people as sexy um, as the National Hockey League, but I just love the game. I remember talking to, to one OHL coach about it. I said, you know, I, I really enjoy the NHL. We all do as professionals, and it's perfect, and it's wonderful. It's the zenith of uh, of hockey. And I said, why, I, I can't, I still can't figure out to myself why I love junior hockey so much. This is years ago. And he said, I'll tell you exactly why. He said, in the NHL, there's about eh, five big mistakes that lead to scoring chances. Like everything is really perfect and the coaches have it pinned down. Like there's about five big mistakes that lead to scoring chances and that type of over the top excitement that comes along with it. In junior hockey, you get about 30 of those. And and that's really true, and I think it underscores one of the things that we don't really talk about too much when it comes to, to hockey, and really, really all of our sports, isn't part of the beauty of it, isn't part of the greatness of it, isn't part of one of the things we love about it, how sloppy it can be. Now, it has to hit a certain level of, you know, it has to look like a game. It has to look like a game played by people that are qualified to play it, that have a certain proficiency, but isn't the excitement the mistakes – like I don't think we celebrate I – mean, we look down our nose at the mistakes. I know we certainly do when we do intermit, intermission panels. Oh, you can't have this. This guy needs to get his ass nailed to the bench. Right. And that may be true from a coach's perspective. We talk so much from the coach's perspective. From a fan's perspective, that's glorious. What a turnover. That was awesome. Oh, my God. You see Brandon Montour. How do you let Ryan Johansen get behind him like that? Oh, my God. What a rookie mistake. Yep. What a glorious moment in the game. Instead of looking down our nose at it, I don't think we – you know, celebrate the badness of hockey in a lot of ways.
1: Well, and that, that ties into the discussion we were having a lot at certain points last year. You know, when we were trying to figure out ways to increase scoring, and and I, I was always making the point that it's not necessarily the actual the goals themselves that we need to worry about. It's it's what they sort of represent or what they lead to, and just in the sense that uh, if you open the game up a bit more, and, and maybe one way to do that is removing uh, the offside rule, as we've discussed many times. Oh, yeah. all, all of a sudden. You kind of open yourself up to a more free flowing game and potentially more back and forth chances, which leads to more goals, which leads to more lead changes and, and makes you feel like teams can come back even if they're down two nothing or three one early on. And that's kind of the epitome of junior hockey. I feel like where like you just have to keep watching at all times because it could just change in a dime in a hurry.
0: Yeah, it's great. You know, one of the things that I've always felt about sports I was talking to a friend of mine about this last week, you know. A sport is great when you get a lot of chaos in it and, you know, for a lot of sports, you know, one of the objectives um, as a team, like as far as coaching philosophy goes, you know, when the opposition has, you know, in this case, the puck, you need to create chaos, you need to create confusion, you know, that's, that's when that's best because out of that comes opportunity. Um, and this is one of the things that I like about the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I think I talked about this on. I certainly talked about it on MBSW. I think I may have talked to you about it as well, about the idea of you know the strong side defenseman holding the line and just getting a stick in there to create a little bit of chaos, which ultimately you know led to the two goals that 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 won in Game Seven for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but also you know allows a. Back checking forward to reload into the neutral zone mm-hmm. and allows, you know, increased offensive opportunities, as opposed to just which is what a lot of people are a lot of players are conditioned to now. And this is this rests solely on the coaches here because they instruct this. When you see a 50-50 play, the instinct now isn't to go for it, the instinct is to back off. I don't know that that creates what well, I do. I know it doesn't create chaos, it creates safety. And when sports is safe, it can get really boring really fast. Mm-hmm.
1: So I have a question for you as someone who sure, but- uh, follows Major Junior uh, in all the leagues very closely. Like, do you think that just generalizing, do you think the most coaches in in those leagues are um, focused more on uh, sort of winning games and, and, and being a successful team or developing the players? Or do you think that those two things uh, go hand in hand?
0: Yeah, the the safe answer, and every coach will tell you, well, we're really here to do both. Mm -hmm. You know, these are young men we're shepherding through the. Make no mistake about it. You know, these coaches aren't doing this out of the, you know, the the kindness of their hearts. You know, no one, this isn't a charity situation for any coach in the CHL. Find me, you know, any one of the 60 teams where a coach isn't taking a paycheck uh, and doesn't have aspirations to coach at a higher level. Now some may just be, you know, settled where they are, but they are defining themselves by their wins and not how many players they graduate to the next level or how many young men, you know, they, they are going to send to various universities uh, across Canada and the United States. Um, so I think the real answer is they're coaching to win. Mm. That's primary. Um, but the way the programs are structured, and the way that junior hockey is sort of structured, um, you know, you build up, you take a shot at it, you dip down again, and then you come back. Now there are some teams that perennially, we look at the London Knights, for example, it may be the best example. You know, stay at a certain level, and there's a number of reasons why they do that, and how they're able to do that. Recruiting is not an issue for the London Knights, I assure you. But generally, the way that it's done is, you know, you have your big moment, you go for it, you're either successful or you fail, and then you start rebuilding again. Like one of the four teams that's in the Memorial Cup this year, the Saint John Sea Dogs. Now, in 2011, they won the Memorial Cup at the Hershey Center in Mississauga. And they went almost immediately back to rebuilding this thing, right? right? And now they find themselves back in the Memorial Cup. But if you go and, you know, if you have a look at some of those drafts, like you look at specifically 2012 and 2013, I mean, they're hitting at every single level, right? Like it's Thomas Shabbat, boom, Matthew Highmore, boom, Matthew Joseph, boom, Nathan Knoll, boom, you know, Spencer Smallman, boom. Uh Samuel Dove McFalls, boom, they're just nailing it. And that formed the basis uh of their team. And then you realize, hey, you know, we have a, a legit shot at this thing. That's where you say to yourself, okay, now we make our last minute touches, now we make our trades, and all of a sudden, you know, Bakanji comes in, the Tampa prospect, probably the toughest kid in the entire CHL. Uh Julian Goche, the Carolina uh hurricanes traffic, I want to say 21st overall comes in uh from Valdor, you know, Callum Booth comes in uh, as a starting netminder. So that that's kind of the way uh that it, that it's done in junior hockey. So a lot of coaches will tell you, you know, they're developing in those years in order to crescendo at a certain season. Like every team sort of in the back of their mind when they're looking at the program has in the back of their mind. Okay, this is the year we're going to peak. You know, you looked at the Brandon Wheat Kings last year. Last year was a the year they were poised to peak, whether it was Quenville or whether it was Harallock. Like they hadn't you know, even Nolan Patrick. They had those players ready to peak for last season. Mm-hmm. You know, this year St. John Sea Dogs. This year Seattle Thunderbirds. Like next year the Regina Pats, and they're you know they're hosting it. Uh, in the 100 year anniversary so the answer for junior i'm being long-winded here oh my god this is why i'm not an analyst because nobody else gets a breath of air um the answer is twofold one they're there to win but the way to win too in junior hockey is you need to be developing in the years where you're having a downturn in your winning cycle right
1: yeah that makes sense well so i know that uh we were trading some messages back and forth i think last week uh off the air and you kind of hinted at the fact that you thought that the sea dogs might be uh the best team of the bunch yeah. do, do you do you still feel that way
0: I do. I do. Of all of them that I've seen. And I think, you know, Seattle's going to give them a good run for their money. See, Seattle is um, a dynamic team and a highly skilled team um, that can do, and they're getting really good goaltending from, goaltending from Stinkowski. Um, uh, they're a team that can score in bunches. Um, that have, as we see with, you know, Alexander True, uh, Nikolai Ehlers' cousin yesterday, a clutch goal scoring. You have a great penalty killer and Donovan Newells. Uh, you have a top six group of, you know, Matthew Barzell and Keegan Colasar and Ryan Gropp and Nolan Vulcan and Scotty Eisner. Like, you've got top six that can score. You've got good penalty killers. You have Ethan Baer. Uh, on the on the back end, the Oilers draft pick, yeah, there are they're gonna be a really tough out here as well as Regina found out, uh, as Kelowna found out and anyone else you know Everett found out this is a tough team, but for my money, um, when you look at the St John Sea Dogs, you know they have you know does it uh, do have top of my head 10 players that have been drafted in the NHL, another who just signed with an NHL team and Matthew Highmore. So you have a real solid pro looking team. Uh, that can play a lot of different ways. And the nice thing about St. John is, you know, a lot of junior teams sort of load up on the one line. Mm-hmm. You know, this is our scoring line. These guys are going to score, you know, 60% of our goals. You know, if you have a game where Matthew Joseph, you know, isn't scoring uh, and he isn't getting it done, hey, there's, you know, Joe Valeno is going to score. Nathan Knoll is going to score. Spencer Smallman is going to score. Like Julian Goche is going to get a pair of goals. Like they're insulated enough that they can still, you know, score their way back into a game. Plus they have, you know, probably, I shouldn't say probably, they have the best defenseman in junior hockey in Thomas Shabbat, you know, who logs, you know, minimum 25 minutes. I think it was game three against Blainville. Yeah, I think I had a, a peek at it. He was at 36 minutes. I mean, just, they just like leave him on the ice, him and Chase Stewart, just like leave the pair on the ice. And Shabbat is, you know, You can just tell, Dimitri. because I mean, you watch junior hockey. You can just tell that some guys have outlived junior.
1: Yeah.
0: That, okay. Yeah. You know what? I'm here six months too long. Yeah. That's Thomas Shabbat. He's, he's, he's outlived junior hockey. He's ready for the pro challenge and you can really tell.
1: Well, so the interesting thing, I was looking at this a few weeks ago, and the Senators uh, were last in the league this season in terms of production they were getting from uh, players on their rookie deals. I I believe they got only the one point, and it was uh, an assist from Curtis Lazar, who they wound up trading at the deadline. And you know that's obviously not great. You'd you'd much rather be on the higher end of things because it shows that you've been drafting well and you have young guys in the way that'll be able to contribute for cheap in the years to come. But at the same time, you look and they had this crop of Logan Brown and Colin White and Thomas Shabbat coming which is uh, exciting for them i, th- I think the, the question that i have obviously spinning it forward is do you think that you know you say that shabbat has sort of outlived uh his the what he can really kind of stand to gain playing at this level do you think he's yeah. ready to take that next step and step into the ottawa senators blue line as soon as the start of next season because you know we saw that just how good he looked at the World Juniors, for example, around around Christmas time, where he kind of took the hockey world by storm, and it seemed like he might even get a look with the, with the Senators uh, this season. Um, yeah. like, do you think he's ready to start right from the get go next year? It,
0: yeah, there's two that really, that really um, sort of catch my eye, and and the other. You know, people have sort of noted on him a, a, a little bit, but probably not enough because you know he's not a first a first round draft pick, and that's Ben Harper. I, I think if I'm the Ottawa Senators, you know, the two young uh, defensemen that I'm pretty excited about, and Thomas Shabbat's a pretty easy story, but the Ben Harper, um, I think, is someone that can that can challenge for a uh, for a for a position next season, as I think Thomas Shabbat can. Like at, at the end of it. The guy can get you out of trouble a lot of ways, Thomas Shabbat. He can skate the puck out of trouble. He can pass the puck out of trouble. He can create offensively. He does all those things that we keep talking about, what a defenseman needs to do in 2017 um, that's Thomas Shabbat. And I, I don't know many players. Like I, I know it sucked for the kid. You know, you get your first taste of the NHL and you want to stay up. And uh, here I am back in junior hockey. Some guys go back with a good attitude. Some guys go back with boo-boo face and end up going through like three or four billet families because they have you know their, their thumb in their mouth the entire season. Um, I don't know many players, though, that were harmed by going back for that what some would consider extra junior year. It's not as if he's going back for his OA year. He's not, you know, for, 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 you know, getting a little taste of the NHL and then going back. I don't know many, if any players that were hurt by that. Like look what, look what Thomas Shabbat's going to have under his belt now you know a great world junior championship which in a lot of ways to your point Dimitri was his coming out party mm-hmm. you know after that i mean i mean he was just outstanding on that canadian blue line i mean yeah. Char- charlie mcavoy was same for uh, for usa and already he's in the nhl legit with the boston bruins um so he's got that under his belt he's got the big coming out party everybody knows him uh president cup trophy you know QMJHL champions with the saint john sea dogs and a chance Um, to win the one trophy that many hockey players will tell you is the hardest to win because the window to do so is just so small and so short to win the Memorial Cup. That's a pretty good resume to come into next season with, let alone the confidence this kid is going to have. You know, should St. John do like? If I'm the Ottawa Senators, I'm saying to myself, "Yeah, we just, you know, hope the kid goes back with a good attitude. Look what he's coming into training camp next year with, right? The World Junior experience, a silver medal. Everybody knows him across Canada. Skills are well told. <laughs> Thirty minutes plus a night for St. John. Win the Q Championship and way and may win the Memorial Cup. It's exactly if what I'm. If I'm an Ottawa Senators fan, that's exactly what I want to happen to Shabbat.
1: Yeah, well, evaluating defensemen at this level is always so tricky in trying to project how they're going to do at the next level. I mean, you know, a guy on on uh, that could, he could be teammates with as soon as next season uh, in Cody Cece. Like, do you remember what your thoughts on him were when he was playing on the sixty sevens and I think yep. and whatever, wherever he played after that? Like, like, are you were you a fan of his game at the time when he was coming up to the league, or were you uh, a bit skeptical yeah. of him?
0: My thoughts. My thoughts are the same. He's he's good. He's not great. He's a a, a a good. He's not a top pairing defenseman. He's just and there's nothing wrong with it unless he's you know he's he's misslotted. He's just a good defenseman. He's an NHL defenseman. He's not a top pairing NHL defenseman. He's not anyone that's going to move the needle for you. But he's a body on your blue line. And in junior and in junior hockey. You know, that skill set, you know, tended to, to stand out. The skill set that he had tended to stand out a little bit more. But at the next level, I, I watch Cody C's games and I say to myself, he's okay. You know, he's just an okay defenseman.
1: Yeah, it's it's bizarre with him, though, because I feel like he was build as being uh, a bit more capable offensively but now when you watch him with the puck i don't know if it's just a like a confidence thing where he's just not playing his game or what he's what he's capable of but like as soon as he gets it it's basically a hot potato situation where he just tries to get it off the glass and out it's like he's he's been like kind of rewired to just play the most conservative way possible and, and it's just it's it's disappointing because obviously he's still a young guy and this isn't necessarily who he's going to be for the rest of his career but just like based, based on where he was drafted and the way he was talked about and all those jonathan drew rumors like they are just yeah. tough to reconcile all those things
0: here the, the see the thing about that is it's an interesting point because there were a couple of seasons there that i want to say he was up around between 55 and 65 points but let's not forget I mean, he's a defenseman that's getting the puck up to players like Sean Monaghan, uh, Tyler Toffoli, Shane Prince. Like he's getting the puck up to players that are gonna bear it. Like he's getting the puck to hundred point guys, you know, and fifty goal scorers. So you may look at that and you say, Yeah, maybe the numbers are a little bit inflated considering the players that he's getting the puck to. But then don't forget too, I mean, that was the that was the you know, the ultimate Ottawa Senators pick. He's an Ottawa guy playing for the Ottawa sixty sevens, drafted by the Ottawa Senators. Kind of that yeah. feel good show, showtime, you know, <laughs> ma- made for TV draft pick.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, this is true for all players in major junior because you really have to, uh, you got to look at the context of how those getting, how they're getting their points and how they're being used and all that. But like with defensemen in particular, like we know that. You know, guys that don't produce offensively in major junior probably won't just magically start to do so at the NHL level. Like, you need to have, yes. a, you need to show at least a certain baseline level of production for us to feel confident that you're going to be able to do it at the, at the highest level. But at the same time, I do, I do wonder if there's something to the idea that a guy, especially playing on the blue line, might just be like so much more. I don't know, talented or advanced in the way he's processing the game or what he like sort of the, the plays he's seeing two or three steps in advance from his teammates and maybe the guys he's playing with just can't sort of read and react to that so it's not it's like it's like he can't kind of spread his wings playing at that lower level and then all of a sudden you go up to the nhl you start playing with talented guys who can skate faster and read the play and all of a sudden you see all these breakout passes and maybe the point totals start to come so evaluating defensemen just like that is like it's one of those things where you might just need to actually watch them very closely on an individual case-by-case basis to know what they're actually capable of moving forward
0: I have such a hard time evaluating defensemen, not mm-hmm. just at the uh, at the junior level or the NHL level as well. But hearing you talk about that make, and make that point, you know, who comes to mind right away is Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't I can't tell you how many times I saw Connor McDavid throw the puck to a player like Nick Betts or Nick Baptiste, um, and they didn't know what to do with it because whoa, I don't get the puck here. Whoa, like what what, you know, you just can't think at that level. You just can't think at the McDavid level, um, and that's where you say to yourself, okay, I need to I need to I just can't game sheet this guy. I need to watch this guy to see what's actually happening. And you say to yourself, okay, well, you know what? If that's not a pass to Nick Betts, but that's a pass to Alex DeBrinckit, is it in? Mm. You know, if that's a pass to, you know, I don't know, if that's not a pass to Nick Baptiste, but it's a pass to Dylan Strom, is that thing in the nets? And, you know, chances are, yeah. Um, So I think that's why you need to sort of have a look to it. And that's that that marriage of, you know, watching the the player and I think, you know, reading um, the, the statistics on him. And McDavid is the one guy that I look at and I say, man, I, I I would shudder to think, you know, what would have happened, you know, had it's funny because I I mentioned this to him last year when I talked to him, if Dylan Larkin wouldn't have went to University of Michigan and instead because the Erie Otters held his rights, you know, went to the Erie Otters, you know, could you imagine Dylan Larkin and Connor McDavid playing together? I mean, they would just would have torched the OHL. It would have been ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but the minute that is funny, because there were two teams that were never going to pressure him to go to the CHL. In fact, they would do the opposite considering he was going to Michigan. One was Detroit, and that's who grabbed him. And the other was Minnesota. And I remember that draft, and I remember saying to myself, oh, man, you know what? We could have something special in the OHL as long as neither Minnesota or Detroit <laughs> <laughs> draft Dylan Larkin. And sure enough, there's the Detroit Red Wings taking Dylan Larkin and ruining what could have been something real special with the Erie Otters.
1: Mm. Uh where do you, where do you stand on I'm sure I don't know if we've had this discussion on past podcasts but if you were uh running a team and obviously it it, it sort of is on a case by case basis but just generally yeah. speaking where would you want your young prospects to develop the most like do you are you an AHL guy or would you rather them just dominate at at the lower major junior levels or or like what would you prefer seeing from your from young prospects that you're drafting
0: I, I don't want uh, I don't want to p- uh, put any of my prospects in a situation where they will get hurt, mm-hmm. um, and so that's where you have to. I, so I you're think not playing the H- o- o- at
1: the AHL level then.
0: Uh, what's no? I mean, not play. What do you mean? I mean, if there's if you're strong enough and mentally smart enough to play in the American Hockey League, then yeah, absolutely. But I still don't think that there's one cookie cutter. I think everyone's everyone's a little bit different. You know, there's some guys that can walk in from the Swedish League and 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 dominate. There's some guys that need some time in the the American Hockey League because, you know, more than anything else, that's the the, the defense finishing school, right? Like that's yeah. in, in a lot of ways what the American Hockey League does for a lot of players is it teaches you to play the other side of the puck. You know, that's what the, that's what the American League does. Oh, and by the way, just as an aside, at what point, speaking of the AHL, at what point will people finally, or they, do they have too much of a, of a bias from Edmonton Media and what they did to him while he was there? Um, at what point are people going to start talking about the great work that Dallas Aikens has done with the, uh, with the San Diego Gulls and those players that are now up with the Anaheim Ducks? Whether it's Brandon Montour, whether it's Shea Theodore, whether it's Nick Ritchie, whether it's Andre Kasha. You know, the defense, I know, is sort of handled by Marty Wilford in a lot of ways. But at a certain point, because if it's any other team, you're starting to make NHL noise about the guy. Yeah. How come everyone's silent about Dallas Aikens?
1: Well, he didn't let the media eat unhealthy in the press box, so uh, you probably won't see too many good <laughs> reports from those guys then.
0: Put some broccoli next to a cookie? <laughs> he had the nerve to do that? Yeah, I'm a big Dallas fan. Listen, man, I'm telling you. I mean, the, there's a vacancy in Buffalo, there's a vacancy in Florida, I would have to think, and now that San Diego's out, they got beaten by, uh, by the Barracudas, I would have to think that dallas aiken's phone well would be and probably should be ringing
1: yeah don't you think but it's weird because you don't hear him being uh floated around in too many of those rumors i wonder if it's just like people have a tough time distancing themselves from the stink that was that entire Oilers situation which is obviously unfair to him because we've seen many different uh you know coaches and gms and, and you go on down the line that have had uh shaky starts to their pro careers or what have you and all of a sudden you know they 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 put it all together and wind up being great coaches or GMs and at a, at a different stop. So like I I would definitely uh, be in favor of giving him another chance. But it just it's bizarre to me totally. that he hasn't gotten any of that love really.
0: You know, and the funny thing, and this just comes back to you know, when you see someone write about this, just call them out on their BS because they're being lazy. Mm. I and mean, the one criticism you always see of Dallas Higgins is, oh, we can't go through another season of swarm defense. We can't go through another season of swarm. You know how many games Edmonton played using that? Mm. I can tell you, seven, yeah. seven games, but it became the easy story and the easy way to slag the guy, um, that put an orange next to a donut. Mm.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's put a poll on this, uh, Memorial cup discussion because
0: <laughs> I, oh, okay. Yeah, we haven't talked about that. I was barking I, about Dallas. I, Aiken.
1: <laughs> it's a little, just kind of looking at the teams that are involved here. I do think that is, it's a nice combination of, uh, household <laughs> prospect names that, You know, people that might not necessarily be big junior fans or or haven't been following throughout the regular season or the playoffs might tune in just because you know their their team has drafted a couple of these guys. I mean, you look at you know the Erie Otters, for example. Like Tampa Bay Lightning fans should be tuning in because there's a handful of guys that could be playing for their team in a few years that are going to be on going to be playing for them. And you go on down the line, so it seems like each of these teams do have at least a handful of guys that are worth tuning in for. Just even if you're an NHL or a hockey fan, just to see uh, what they're capable of and kind of get excited about the future.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of traveling all-star teams here, right? We mentioned uh, the St. John Sea Dogs, and and they'll have someone probably in the top five next year's uh, draft with Joe Veleno, who's the first player to ever be granted exceptional status uh, in the queue after it's happened a number of times in the OHL. But you mentioned the Erie Otters, and the DeBrincat story is well told. The first team in CHL history to win four straight, you know, four straight fifty-game seasons. I mean, they've won fifty games in four. That, that just doesn't happen in the CHL, right? Like this is a team that has continued. You know, show up in the Western Conference final, uh, without Connor McDavid. Um, and you mentioned Tampa, uh, Taylor Radish just signed. Was it today, Demetrius yesterday that Radish signed his, his entry level deal? So there's another Tampa Bay prospect, mm-hmm. uh, that signed. You know, his brother is one of the best OA defensemen in, in Darren Radish. The Alex Debrinkit story. Here he is again, 65 goals, uh, for Chicago's second rounder. Um, Ivan Lodnia, whose name you may hear heard called here, uh, you may hear how do i say this grammatically you may You're hear called, his name called, called yeah. in the first round but probably in the second round of the draft in uh in ivan ladnia um, uh, Warren Fogel, uh, who came over from the Kingston Frontenacs, uh, was a point of game player in the postseason, uh, picked up the, uh, the Wayne Gretzky Trophy as playoff MVP. He's a Carolina prospect. Um, you mentioned Tampa. How about Anthony Sorelli, who scores the big goals, the, uh, OHL championship goal before that two years ago with Oshawa and, the, the grand closing of the Colisee, scores a goal in overtime to beat the Kelowna Rockets, the Oshawa Generals, uh, win the Memorial Cup. There's a lot of, like, really interesting stories. Uh, with the Otters, with the Saint John Sea Dogs, I mentioned you know what's happening with the um, uh, with the Seattle Thunderbirds, mm-hmm. um, and for the first time since 2007, you know we're going to have two American teams in the CHL final. I mean that was Plymouth then, this, that would have been the Vancouver one, um, which was won by the Giants. But you know Plymouth and Lewiston did it in 2007, and now we have the Seattle Thunderbirds and we have the Erie Otters. And here's the interesting thing as well. A lot of people have sort of written them off because they lost in the first round seven games against the London Knights. The West and the OHL were stacked. Somebody was going to play London. Somebody was going to play Owen Sound. And two legit heavyweight teams were going to fall. Unfortunately for the Windsor Spitfires, they drew the London card. And even though they're up 3-1, to one, they lost in the seven-game series. But as the Winnipeg Jets organization has now cleared Logan Stanley to play, For the first time all season long, Rocky uh, Thompson, the head coach of the Windsor Spitfires, is going to have his full team together and all healthy. Um, you know, whether it's Logan Brown, whether it's Gabe Villardi, who went through a couple of horrible injuries this year, knee and then an appendicitis. You'll hear his name called probably top five of the draft, uh, to a blue line that has, you know, Mikhail Sergeyev, uh, Jalen Chatfield, one of the best shutdown defensemen, uh, in the entire CHL, Sean Days. I mean, it's, it's a really nice looking blue line there, too. And then Michael DiPietro, who if you've ever met the kid or, or listened to the kid or talked to the kid, you'll realize instantly he's one of the most charismatic players in the entire CHL. And a really good goaltender uh, who will be drafted in the first couple of rounds this season as well. So it, the interesting thing about this year is there's no Cinderella's, right? There's no like, oh, our goalie got hot and Anthony Mantha scored a ton of goals. And here you go. Here's Valdor representing the queue. Like, it's not like that. Like, every single team is a powerhouse. You know, every single team is either a top 10 team or just outside of the top 10 uh, in the year-end rankings, so all four teams are legit heavyweights in the chl this year all going head-to-head starting friday as windsor opens up against st john
1: yeah i mean even with uh with like the thunderbirds for example i think that uh if you stack them up against the other three teams they might have uh like the lowest quantity of of household name prospects but then i like would you do you think it's fair to say that they might have that like the absolute best one and matthew barzal like i think he, he is there a case to be made that he's the best player uh, heading into this tournament
0: yeah you might get some you might get some disagreement with the thomas shabbat crowd mm-hmm. i know it's it's chalk and cheese because they're different positions right. uh, you know some will tell you alex to it um but yeah if you want to just you wouldn't put it this way you would not go wrong if you said you know come friday um that the best player in the ch the best player in this tournament the best player in the chl is matthew barzal i mean he is so creative uh, so gifted, like amazing vision, great production plays on, you know, one of, if not the hottest line in the CHL with Kolasar and Grop. This is, that's a dynamic. And the, and the thing is too, is we still don't know a whole ton of Like I've only watched Seattle two, maybe three times this year. Yeah. Like, I don't know a ton about Seattle. Um, and, and no one really does um, outside of, you know, scouts and the hardest of hardcore uh, CHL fans, because it's not a market uh, where you're going to watch uh, a whole ton of games. Like, you look at that final series you know the majority of games weren't even on tv in seattle yeah okay so i mean even people in uh, in seattle they packed the house by the end um uh, to send them off so it's it's a it's a wonderful team it's a they're there for the first time uh in the franchise's history um they lost i think it was like almost 300 man games this year as well so they've overcome injuries to get there and you know and they were a force and they were um, they're owned and run by a guy by the name of Russ Farwell, who NHL fans will know as you know the ex Philadelphia Flyers general manager who did the Eric Lindros trade, um, and he made a lot of nice deals, whether it's you know Austin Strand or Aaron Hyman bringing these players in uh for a run um it's a good team and i'm looking forward to to cuz i've never met outside of matthew barzal and uh, Ryan gropp i haven't met any of these kids so really really curious to meet uh, ethan bear who i've never talked to before he was a fascinating player and interesting guy you know born and raised on a on a cree reserve just a couple of hours outside of Regina, really good defenseman edmonton oilers draft pick so we're looking forward to that and uh, and looking forward to see some fantastic and hopefully some sloppy hockey Mm, yes the the memorial Cup, sir. the sloppier the better um yeah
1: so let's let's pivot here a little bit and as we start to talk about uh this upcoming draft class and the draft lottery um is it fair to say that gabriel velardi of the of the windsor spitfires is the best uh guy from this year's draft class that'll be playing in this tournament
0: Uh, he, let me just grab my list here, but, uh, yeah, Villardi is going to be your top guy. Uh. Um, you know, uh, Halifax, you know, didn't make it through, so no Hisher, uh, the weakings neither. So no Nolan Patrick. Um, and, well i mean if mississauga would have made it through there would have been some talk about how owen Tippett. i mean it all depends on on what your cup of tea is owen Tippett's is probably the best pure shooter um in the entire draft uh but yeah gabe Velarde is gabe velardi is your guy when you're looking at draft prospects this year hmm. he not, there's not a ton like last year right i mean every every year it's funny because you know one of the guys we'll focus on too is joe valeno who's not even available for this year's draft but is in next year's top five so right um, but yeah there's, there's there's not a
1: ton this time around um so i haven't really had a chance to talk about the draft lottery on the show since it happened but uh where do like where do you stand on uh the the nolan patrick versus nolan history debate because I, I believe you've you've stuck your guns and had patrick atop your yep. draft board all year but yep. have, like has how close has it been for you and has there been uh, certain close. points where you've been like tempted to kind of swap them
0: uh, when I get my hipster moments, I am, you know, when I get, <laughs> when I get my, like, when I get my hockey hipster hat on, uh, and I let my stubble grow a little bit, I said, it was yeah, I'm going to put the Swiss kid number one, man. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've, I've seen, you know, no reason, uh, to, to bump Nolan Patrick off the top spot um he's a coach's dream he's safe in in every single situation like the thing about patrick you know i've discussed this before he doesn't do one thing that's spectacular he just does everything so well right you know he's like the ultimate you know utility uh knife he's like your swiss army knife yo kill a penalty no problem got a power play yeah i got that five on three yeah i got this too five on five yep got it like he's that guy last minute of play protecting a lead yep you got it like that's that's who he is now the interesting thing about Nico Hischer, I mean, much like a player like Cody Glass with the Portland Winterhawks, I mean, what a rise from the beginning of the season! You know, I mean, he's come from. You know, I remember after Ivan Halenka talking to a couple of scouts, who both said the exact same thing. Yeah, we like him. He's loaded with skill, but he's very selective where he when he chooses to compete and when he chooses to play. And don't know if it's an injury thing. Don't know if it's a, a fear thing. But I said to myself, "Well, he's going to a situation that in Halifax it's not going to be great because the Mooseheads are the youngest team in the CHL, there's a lot of kids there, and they're going to be tested by a lot of big teams in the QMJHL. And this kid got cross-checked and high-sticked and slashed and punched and all of it, and through the entire season he got better and better. So where we didn't see Nolan Patrick, you know, improve month to month, uh we did see that from Nico Hischer. So the temptation is when you start to see that type of movement, You know, to 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 move the positions. Now, would it surprise me if New Jersey, you know, ended up taking Nico Hischer? Not at all. You know, I was told early on. I talked, I texted a couple of people from other teams and said, you know, where do you hear New Jersey's at? And the message I kept coming back is they're leaning Hischer, um, but there's a couple of key scouts uh, that really like Nolan Patrick. It may come down to what. Ray Shiro really thinks Mm -hmm. and I was on Hockey Central about three weeks ago and we had Shiro on and I said you know every time because I generally talk to a couple of scouts usually every day usually by the end of the night and one of the questions I always ask is who was there today just like I'm I'm curious like which general managers go you know especially when the season is over for them and you know at least a few times a week oh Shiro was here oh Shiro was here oh yeah Shiro was here Shiro was here And I said, no, I said, you know, how many, when when did you start to hit the road? Because by the time the season was over, like Ray Shiro was hitting the road hard. Um, So he wanted to go and and have a look at everybody. And he said, yeah, you know, I think he, I think he said like early January, he really started to get out on the road and and sort of see what was out there, suspecting strongly that his team was going to be involved in the lottery Mm -hmm. and he better get a good eyeball on all these guys. Um, so it's close. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Nico Heischer ends up getting selected first overall. Nor would it surprise me uh, if Nolan Patrick gets, uh, gets selected first overall. To me, the draft gets interesting at number three. Mm. And that's why I think in a lot of ways, the Dallas star, I mean, sure, like New Jersey wins it because they got the first pick. Right. Philadelphia wins it because they're going to get the consolation prize, <laughs> which may end up being like the legit number one when everything's all said and done. Right. Um, but you look at how the Dallas Stars move and what they can do with that pick as well. Like they can just, you know, sit there and execute the pick. That's fine. Um, or they can trade down. Maybe if I'm Dallas, I'm looking at the Buffalo Sabres. Now they have a GM and Jason Bottrell and say to myself, you guys need a defenseman. Uh, we know that uh, Miro Heiskinen is there at number three, and that's probably the guy you would covet. We can still get the player that we want at his Buffalo eight mm-hmm. um, and pick up an asset along the way, or we can even trade down, you know, or we can even move that pick as part of a package for more picks for next year's draft. Uh, when we all strongly suspect it'll be even deeper. To me, Dallas is interesting because they have so many options. I I, I I don't think for a second New Jersey's not going to make the pick. I don't think for a second that, that uh, the Flyers won't make the pick. Right. But I can't tell you the same thing about the Dallas Stars because Dallas to me is the most interesting team initially in the draft this year.
1: Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a bummer for a team like the Colorado Avalanche, though, because, you know, oh. they, they lose, what, 60 of their 82 games, they give up, like, over 100 more goals than they score, and now all they really have to show for it is Luffy. the fourth pick in, like, a two-player draft.
0: Are you with me on—I know you're with me on the offside, on, the, uh, mm-hmm. on getting rid of the lines. Are you with me on this one? For the lottery, everybody gets the same percentages. That way you don't get that nonsense of what Vancouver did at the end of the year. That yeah. way you don't get what Buffalo did a couple of years ago trying to get Connor McDavid. Yep. Yeah, everybody gets the exact same amount the exact same percentages so whether you're tanking or not you barely miss it you missed the playoffs by a point you missed it by 20 doesn't matter you have the same shot at getting the first overall pick
1: i'm with you 100 i have been the entire time you know i get asked a lot about how i feel about tanking and you know people show how like a team like the canucks for example it's like oh look they were actively trying to lose games and then you know because because of karma they wound up getting the fifth pick and it's like listen as long as you're incentivized to lose as many games as you can and potentially increase your odds of getting a higher pick you should be trying to do so now if the league steps in and prevents takes it kind of takes that decision out of the team's hands then all of a sudden obviously it'll stop making sense to lose games intentionally and that then we'll see teams maybe play uh, more competitively throughout the end of the season so it's it's as long as as long as you're incentivized to do so you'd be stupid not to but i don't obviously yeah. like it as a fan of the product
0: no and it's one of the weirdest conversations i've ever had like in my capacity i've been like really lucky to work with a lot of general managers that, that have come through specifically when i was doing that old strategy room show uh before the uh, before we got the nhl deal i love doing that because they just float gms through and you know off the air and uh, i'm not going to reveal any names here but i mean i'd always ask you know most of the general manager you know what's it like when you're out of it like what's it like watching your team when you're already out of the playoffs like when you have no shot at making it and they'll all tell you the same thing it's bizarre but it's true you get mad when they win (laughs) like you just like you're like active like cheering against your team it's like no don't do this to our draft position because at that point it's just eyes on the future and all these guys are screwing it up what's this little three game winning streak what are we doing here this is not the way you're supposed to do it but to your point as long as there's an incentive to do it You know, as long as there's cheese in the trap, you can't blame anyone for trying to stick their hand out to grab it. I'm with you. There's as long as you incentivize that, then teams will do it. The only way to get around it is everybody gets the same odds. Period.
1: I kind of feel, and that's that's why I kind of feel for a guy like Willie Desjardins, who I think got a raw deal because you know I don't necessarily think that he did a a a great job or anything in, in in Vancouver. But like you saw early in the year where they were exceeding expectations and winning more games than people thought they would. And uh, obviously some of that was just kind of purely luck and winning a lot of close one goal games and overtimes and shootouts. And Ryan Miller was playing really well, but some of it was clearly a concerted effort on the coaching staff's part to just kind of play slower and minimize what was going on and try to squeeze out as many games they could. And, you know, it makes sense. We, we had this discussion earlier in the show about uh, like major junior coaches, whether they're trying to develop guys or whether they're trying to win games to to keep their coaching uh, status alive and Willie Desjardins was incentivized to try and win as many games as he could and then in the second half of the year they bought him out they lose more than anyone pretty much and he all he gets for it is basically the pink slip and I I just say it, it just everything that happened with that team at towards the end of the season is just so bizarre to me coaching sucks yeah
0: you know, it it really does. And, and so much because I think you and I have talked about this before. There's like a handful of great coaches and then there's sort of everybody else. Um, and these I, these guys all find themselves, you know, in, in situations that are way beyond their control. And they're the ones that get tarnished for it. You know, like, why do you think it took Bruce Cassidy so long to get? We just had the conversation about Dallas Aikens, mm-hmm. right? Like, th- that's the thing about, I mean, if you're going to be in a bad situation, I mean, do it do it in a really small market where no one pays attention. Okay, like don't, don't do it with a Canadian team. Don't do it with the New York Rangers. Don't do it with the Philadelphia Flyers. Like don't do it, you know, with a big market team because you go along for the ride too. And, and you get painted wrongly so. You get painted with that brush when things that are out of your control get sort of thrust upon you. Like it's, man, it's, it's so tough. Like it, we talk about hockey players needing breaks. Coaches need breaks too. Yeah. You
1: know,
0: like they, it's, I, it, it's, I don't know why they do it. Like, to be honest with you, I I, I don't understand. Like, I love hockey. You love hockey. I get it. But these guys must go through hell. There's no summers off. You know, there's no real time off. Every day you're at the rink Earlier, you're pouring through tape, you know, you're feeling like crap, your whole life is consumed with this three-game losing streak that you're on right now, you're not sleeping, you know, you're probably moody and cranky, um, and you can't get these guys to, to do what you want. Why would you, like, you must really love the game to put yourself through that Mm -hmm. i i feel i feel for coach like i I feel for scouts because i think they're the ones that form the sort of basis that everything sits on in this entire hockey industry Mm -hmm. and they're the ones that get dumped on and are poorly compensated and have like you know broken marriages and drive all over you know frozen (laughs) frozen highways in the middle of january to go look at a prospect for a period and a half but man coaching sucks too coaching's like i don't think we appreciate how hard it is and i think that we don't appreciate how lonely it can be as well like how do you think willie felt this year yeah well
1: that's that, that's 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 the thing where like i i it's my job to uh, be critical of coaches, where it's where I For feel sure. like it's justified, and so, you know I call them out if I think they're doing a poor job. But then I'm, I'm also very uh, readily aware of the fact that I myself could not do that job and would not want to do it. So it's like you're, you're trying to strike this balance between being critical but also trying to maintain perspective oh, no, and, not, got, and be I- fair as well.
0: No, I'm not saying like, don't take that into mind. Don't say, oh, you know what, you know, look at Willie's power play. I don't like what he's doing, mm-hmm. but, I, I, but he's a nice guy, so I can't write about. It. No, no, that would be fraud. Like that's that's awful. Like mm-hmm. that that you can't do that because I don't think you know outside of you know some that just write with malice. I don't think anyone's writing. You know, your power play sucks, therefore you're a bad person. Right, And I don't think that mature coaches receive it that way. I think there are moments where you might, and that's just venting because you're pissed off at things you can't control. Yeah. But n- not for a second am I suggesting that, you know what, man, coaching sucks. You should cut these guys more slack. No, when you when you mess up, just like when I mess up, I hear about it on Twitter, and rightfully so um there's no reason like when you're anybody in this industry anyone in life who sticks your head up above a crowd someone's gonna throw a rock and that's cool and you know that going in mm-hmm. and you can't feign surprise when it happens so i'm not saying that the coaches deserve you know you know a look the other way i'm just saying that i i just don't know that because we very so sel- so seldom have the conversation about how lonely and frustrating especially when you have a hostile media that doesn't like covering a bad team can be.
1: Right. No, well, I I think that is a very fair point about sort of the the human element of it though. And I think that's why, like I, I generally prefer not to, uh, Go to the locker rooms and hang out and, and personally chat with people because I, I'd like to kind of keep you know keep, keep a distance emotionally and, and not let that influence my work because yeah. I, I, I can imagine that it would be very tough. And that's why I have the ultimate respect for the beat writers who are actually able to provide fair analysis while also maintaining those relationships because it's, it's, it's just so tough to strike that balance.
0: It's hard. You know, nobody's pure. Yeah. Nobody's pure. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, it, it, when you get in the industry um, for, uh, you know, for however many years, you know, there are all, there are some stories you look back at and you say, you know what, I could have done this story, but it would have cost me, you know, X, Y, Z. And is it worth it? Is that short term, you know, eruption you know, worth, you know, three or four years of not getting, like that, that's always sort of what you measure out. Like, is this story big enough that I'm willing to burn someone mm-hmm. and end that relationship, which has produced other bits of information and led to other stories? Like, it's hard. Like, essentially what I'm saying is everyone's got a hard life in this industry. <laughs> oh, cry for us. We get to watch hockey games and write about them and talk yeah. about them. Oh, oh, listeners feel bad for us. Yeah. No, 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 no not, not for too bad. a second. Yeah. I'm just saying that I, I, I do respect... Whether it's you know the hockey writer or the hockey coach, I mean there are certain balances you have to strike. And hockey uh, media people have their own you know challenges, specifically when you get deep into a career and you have friends and allegiances and sources that you become loyal to.
1: Absolutely. Okay, two quick things, and then uh, I'll let you go because I've taken up enough of your time. Uh, well, so I, I have I have answers to both these questions, but I'm curious for your take since you follow this hey. stuff more closely and have been doing your uh, monthly prospect rankings this season. Uh, give me one guy that you think is going to go lower than he should in the first round and give me one guy who for whatever reason has red flags that would scare you off but you think some team is going to take him higher than you probably would advise them to
0: i think the guy that would scare me is michael rasmussen Mm -hmm. Um, of tri Tri city um he's big and he looks like a pro hockey player and listen he had a really good prospects game and and he impressed me But, but i look at I look at a lot of power play production um, for him. I, I would like to see more five on five. Um, he's seducing because he looks like a pro player right now. Um, but I, I have the feeling that he may end up getting chosen higher than maybe he should. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, then it's taken me a long time to come to that realization about players like him um but i feel like you yeah, had him the, at
1: like around like the 10th spot earlier in the season right and, yep. then you, and you've kind of yep. progressively knocked him down a little bit
0: Injuries, injuries have hurt there and mm-hmm. then when you look at the power play versus five on five production you start to you start to knock down um but there is still something to be said about a big hockey player who can play right who can compete i know you know it, it's pretty hip to like the five foot ten guys the water bugs out there <laughs> um there there is still you know plenty of room for a guy that can move with six five six foot five mm-hmm. um the guy who I think may end up going lower, and, you know, every year we're looking for that Cam Fowler, Jacob Chikrin, you know, the one guy, and usually it's a defenseman, um, that falls and falls, and you can't figure out why, considering at some point, you know, he was considered the number two prospect, which, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, Jacob Ch- Chikrin was, mm-hmm. uh, right behind Austin Matthews, and for me, that guy this year is Timothy Liljegren.
1: Yep, my guy as well.
0: You, you want to pick Liljegren? Yeah, you he may. be yeah, okay. I can say uh, I can say Keller Yamamoto then, if you want. <laughs> I mean, he he may, he may be a, a a faller, um. But I think that Lillja Grin is probably. I mean, he started the season off with mono, so you know your strength is compromised. Didn't really get it back, and then bounced um, uh, between various teams uh, at various levels. And I guess at the last u eight, he was he was he was he played real well. But from everyone that I talked to in Sweden, it hasn't been. The best season for Liljegren, consider considering, you know, we were talking about Nolan Patrick being Jonathan Taves light, and for a long time we were saying that Liljegren was Drew Doughty light, uh, that they have that sort of skill set overlap, um, and I can't help but wondering whether he's going to end up being that. Oh my God, I can't believe he's still available at twelve, guy. So uh, Rasmussen would be would be the one, and then Liljegren would be the second one for me.
1: But we almost see this. I feel like. You know, some of it might be a little bit of a confirmation bias or anecdotal, but it does feel like every year there's this one prospect who uh, people are high on. And then he has mono at some point during the season and uh, his stock drops. And then, you know, the next year he winds up performing very well and we're like oh well of course he shouldn't have fallen i mean you know whether it was a logan couture or a colin white like there's always these guys that maybe go a few spots lower than they would have otherwise if they'd been healthy all year and it's not like having mono is this sort of a debilitating thing that's gonna uh impact your your future performance so it it does seem like teams would be at this point capable of overlooking that and not dropping guys too much because of it but then uh, also we kind of see it every year so maybe there is something to that theory
0: Yeah, it's it's tough, man. I I feel for these guys because you're not just looking at who the best 18 year old is, but you're trying to figure out who's going to be the best 25 year old. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's the challenge. Like, you may look at it right now and you say to yourself, like, oh yeah, you know what? I'll take um, uh, right now. I'll take uh, Eli Tolvanen over Michael Rasmussen because he's more productive five on five. Well, you know, you don't know what you know what's going to happen. You know, who's going to be better at the age of 25? Eli Tolvanen. Um, at 5'11, 180 pounds, or is it going to be the six foot five guy, you know, at, at 205 pounds, who has been demonstrated he can score and he can get around the ice? Um, and, you know, the, now the challenge is, is five on five for him. I don't know because, I mean, you're, you're prospect. I mean, this is, you know, this is, there's gold in them, their hills. Right. We don't know where it is, but we're going to go and we're going to try to find it. And that's what the best scouts will always tell you. We're not drafting. We think we're drafting 18 year olds. That's what we'll tell you on Sportsnet in the, in the <laughs> next month. Hey, we're drafting 18. No, we're not. You know, because the best general managers and the best teams aren't drafting 18 year olds. They're drafting 25 year olds yep. because that, that's how they have to project out who's going to be the best 25 year old here.
1: Well, especially what we know based on like aging curves where we know that you want to be kind of peaking at that 22 to 24-ish range, which is a lot younger than we would have thought in the years past. And just based on how contract uh, statuses are working now where you're generally getting a very good deal on the guy for the first handful of years, like you really want to try and uh, optimize okay. that performance in those early seasons.
0: This, for, the, for, the, for the forwards, I've always uh, led to believe that it's 25 where they peak. Is it different for defensemen from your research?
1: I don't know. Honestly, I, it, it, it's, it's, it's tough because I think generally, uh, those aging curves are done based on, uh, offensive production. And we know that judging a, a defenseman based on how many points he's contributing is, uh, is a poor way of doing it. I, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's my, uh, Anton Strawman corollary where it's like, you know, there's, there's just so much that goes into, into being a quality defenseman that might not be captured by just purely a goals and assists. So it's kind of tough to evaluate from that perspective.
0: Yeah, it's tough, man. And then you start dealing with you know these different leagues, and how do you weigh you know the OHL versus you know the Alberta Junior Loop versus you know the SHL versus the USHL? Like, man, it's hard. Like, you know, um, have you have you followed Kel uh, McCarrdall from Brooks plays the Bandits in the AJHL? He may go. He may be the first defenseman drafted.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, I, I think. You know, I think Miro Heiskinen will probably end up being the first, but Kel Makar, you know, may give him a run for his money. Man, he looks good out there. What a great skater. Just explosive. Anchors a power play. He's in the AJHL. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's tough to, to weigh that and, and know what what that actually okay. means, the grand scheme of things.
0: But then I look at you know, Dante Fabro played in the BCJHL last year, and man, I love Dante Fabro. Yeah, I, awesome. I loved him then and, and love him now. I think Nashville got a really good one there too. Yeah. So, man, it's hard. I would. I love, I love these guys. I have such a bias for scouts. I have such a soft spot in my heart, maybe because they're the guys that I hang around with the most. Um, I have such a soft spot for these guys because what they do is freaking tough. Yeah, it's hard, man. Well, I mean, I, what
1: what what people like you and I are ultimately doing here is just sort of trying to uh to narrow the our blind spots and try and increase the probability of getting the pick right. But ultimately, it is still such a crapshoot, and and that that is part of what makes it fun. Because if we just like That's if we knew, if we knew like which thirty yeah. guys were going to have the best careers from one through thirty, and then they were just picked accordingly, like that wouldn't be very fun. I don't feel like.
0: It's a good way to put it too. That's a good way to put it. Is that you're just all you're doing is trying to you know create this cluster of players that's going to give you the best probability of success, right? Because really, I mean, nailing it, just like the hockey game itself, so much of it is luck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So much of it luck. So much the right situation, the right coach, the right training, the right breaks, the right like all of it. God, so much of it is luck.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. Because Man, it's because it's not like.
0: This idea, oh, this guy works harder than another guy. This guy wants it more than another. Guy. They all want it. Yeah. They all work hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, just stop with all that. <laughs> they're they're all work really hard. There's just so many other sort of factors and i think luck is one of them that that uh, that goes into this
1: absolutely and that's what uh, keeps us coming back for more um all right jack plug some plug some stuff when uh when is what some, am i doing Memorial Corps, cup? Memorial cup.
0: here we go Memorial cup it begins uh friday Our uh we'll have a half an hour pregame show which i believe is starting at i should know this uh which i believe is starting at six thirty eastern uh on friday uh you can watch Memorial cup on sportsnet i believe the nhl network is picking it up they usually do but i'm not a 100 percent sure uh opening night friday St. John Sea Seadogs, uh, the President Cup champions represent the QMJHL against the host Windsor Spitfires um, which should be a lot of fun it'll be a very loud WFCU building in Windsor, uh, it always is for the first night, Saturday afternoon is the second game, 3 o'clock we'll see the two US teams go head to head, that's the Erie Otters and the Seattle Thunderbirds, so hope you can tune in, I hope you can watch uh, as much of it as possible, it's always a treat, it's a great tournament um, I fell in love with junior hockey so many years ago and I hope that um, this tournament, if you've never seen it before, helps you fall in love with the junior game as much as I have.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to it personally. Uncle Jeff, have, uh, have some fun out there. Take it one broadcast at a time and make us proud. And we'll, uh, and we'll get you back on the show hopefully sometime soon down the road.
0: Keep your mic on the ice. That's right. <laughs> All right, Thanks, chat soon, See you, bud. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at DimFilipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast.